Hi, I'm Lucy Alexander. And I'm Dominique Atley. And this is the first instalment of our Inspirational Women in Medicine podcast brought to you by MedFem. In this podcast series, we hope to have some fun chats with some different women in medicine who we find really inspirational. Over the four episodes, we hope to cover different parts of medicine, career paths and experiences. And today we're really excited because we're joined by Dr. Fiona Brownfoot. Dr. Brownfoot is a clinician scientist at the University of Melbourne and obstetrician at the Mercy Hospital for Women. She has a long-standing interest in developing novel therapeutics for preeclampsia and more recently developed an interest in novel biomedical engineering technologies. This is with the aim to reduce the most devastating pregnancy complications of stillbirth and cerebral palsy. Since 2013, Fiona has amassed over 45 publications. She's been awarded six national and five international awards for her work and has amassed over five million in grant funding. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Brownfoot. Oh, thank you so much, Lucy and Dom, for inviting me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you today. And we have a lot of burning questions for you and not a lot of time. So we're just going to jump straight in. And as we heard from your introduction, you are incredibly accomplished and so early in your career, which is really inspirational for Lucy and I, and I'm assuming everybody listening. Would you be able to give us a rundown of maybe how you got where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so look, Dom, I'm a clinician scientist, and I think I've got really the perfect mix of 50% clinical work um, and medicine and 50% science. So in my clinical role, I'm an obstetrician at the Mercy Hospital for Women. Now, we're a tertiary centre in Melbourne, and we look after the sickest mothers and babies in the state. We deliver around 7,000 babies a year, and these babies can be from the cusp of viability from just around 23 weeks gestation at around 400 grams, so about the size of a soft drink, um, mm. right the way through to term. Now, I'm also heavily involved within our college, um, and I'm uh, as both um, within the training um, course here at the Mercy and a supervisor for our trainees, as well as um, running the RANSCOG revision course. And I'm also a media advisor for RANSCOG. Now, in my other life, um, I'm a scientist. So uh, the majority of my projects really focus on basic science. And I've really got a strong interest in developing therapeutics for preeclampsia. So preeclampsia is a disease that affects about 10% of patients within pregnancy. And when it happens very early on, there's, there's no treatment. And the only treatment is delivery of the pregnancy, which can lead to devastating outcomes for those really preterm babies. So trying to find a medical therapeutic that could allow the mum to continue the pregnancy to a gestation that's safer for the baby would be a really massive game changer within our specialty. So I guess the main um, reason and things that drove me towards a career in um, obstetrics and gynaecology was really as a result of my clinical term as a medical student, whereby I really fell in love with managing women and being an advocate for women as well as the great mix of medicine and surgery that obstetrics and gynecology provides as well as I had the most amazing female mentors within the specialty that I really looked up to and thought gee I really want to be like you one day and that was really the driving force behind why I went into ONG and then it was really the poor pregnancy outcomes that I'd just see on a on a daily basis that drove me back 
um, into science and into the, the laboratory because without that basic science knowledge and the development of new therapeutics and diagnostics, we're not going to be able to improve our specialty and improve outcomes for our most vulnerable mothers and babies. Yeah, that's amazing. Was there any cases in particular that you came across uh, that really drove you into research? Yeah, it's such a good question, Dom. So it was really when I was um, a junior registrar that I came across a patient called Penny. And it was really Penny that drove me towards um, a career in science and ultimately to, um, to running my own lab. Um, so Penny was a patient who had had a baby in the past and was now admitted very early in her pregnancy at just 25 weeks with preeclampsia. Now, this was a situation that was all too familiar to Penny. So you see just five years earlier, Penny had developed preeclampsia with her first pregnancy and required delivery at a very early gestation of just 25 weeks. Now, her baby unfortunately experienced all of the complications of prematurity and now has severe cerebral palsy. And Penny really turned to us as the clinicians um, guiding her management and asked the question, surely there must be something else that you can do for me um, and my baby so that I can have a better outcome than I did in my first pregnancy. And unfortunately for Penny, we had to look her in the eye and say, look, things haven't progressed. We still don't have a treatment for preeclampsia. And the likelihood is that you're going to need an early delivery this time around. And it was really that that then drove me and inspired me um, to do a PhD focused on developing medical therapeutics for preeclampsia. That is amazing, Dr. Brownfoot. Um, so you've clearly had quite an interesting journey to get where you are today, quite unique as well. Um, I can't imagine that it's been completely smooth sailing. So what are some of the major challenges you've kind of faced along the way and how did you kind of overcome them? Yeah, sure. So oh, I think um, there has been challenges all the way, right from, you know, when you're in high school kind of thing, then through medical school, and then as you, um, you know, continue your career. And perhaps I think one of the resounding things that you need to have um, as a doctor is resilience and an, an attitude whereby you will overcome little challenges and adversity that might stand in your way. Um, so for me, I um, entered medicine as an undergraduate and um, at University of Adelaide. Um, and then it was a, a six-year degree that was, yeah, relatively smooth sailing. And actually, probably the best years of my life was when I was a med student. And just the camaraderie and the friendships that you form will be long-lasting and will serve you very well as it will be those people that you'll kind of turn to when, you know, when you have bad outcomes or um, little forks in the road, perhaps. Um, then perhaps the next challenge, um, I guess, was internship. And we're quite keen. My family was from Melbourne and my husband was from Adelaide, but really wanted to move. So then perhaps the biggest challenge was then, you know, working out what, hospital to do your internship at and then um, the application process and things like that and I did my internship at Royal Melbourne and I really loved it and again the, the people that you 
are in your internship with, you'll form really strong bonds, even though it is only for one year. Um, you, there's nothing else that compares to internship um, and those people will really be your support kind of network as well. Um, and moving forward into um, deciding on specialty. And I think that was perhaps one of the biggest challenges was trying to work out, you know, to go down that medical pathway or surgical pathway or, um, you know, or GP training. Um, and I think perhaps the best advice I had um, when faced with that decision was that you've really got to enjoy the bread and butter of a specialty that you decide because whilst there is going to be really cool things in um, different specialties, they, they come up very rarely. So you want to be able to enjoy the bread and butter as that's what you'll be doing on a day-to-day -day basis and that's really what will drive you. And it was kind of that where I thought, gee, I don't think I'd ever get sick of being there for women at, you know, both their most joyous moment in their life and sometimes their most devastating moment in their life. Um, during delivery of a baby. And so that's really what drove me also um, into obstetrics and gynaecology. Um, and then, yeah, I guess I was really fortunate in that when I wanted to um, pursue a PhD, I knew that there was um, Professor Stephen Tong was interested in developing medical therapeutics and, and approached Stephen. And I think perhaps the... Um, Big, or the best advice um, is to find those mentors throughout your career. Really find people that you think, wow, I'd really aspire to become that person or I really want to become that person um, as that will really help you decide on a career path but also be your biggest advocates in order to get you through and there'll be people that you'll lean on when, you know, things don't go so smoothly. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so you mentioned some of those mentors that you've had along the way. Have there been any other mentors in your life that have maybe been outside of medicine? Yeah, sure. So I think that um, perhaps, you know, one of my biggest inspirations is my mum. Um, and that's, you know, mum uh, didn't go to university or anything like that, but she was uh, very hardworking and really focused on providing you know her children with um, a great education and um, inspired us by you know just letting us know that we can really do whatever we set our minds to um, and it was really her that kind of drove me um, drove me and her passion for um, for uh, you know ensuring that I, that we had a great education um, into into medicine think having your mum as the inspiration for all of us definitely I know that's the same for me <laughs> yeah absolutely mm. we definitely want to ask you a bit more detail about your research because when we were researching you in regarding to your career you've made some absolute absolute amazing waves in the research team which is so inspiring for young women and junior doctors going into research could you maybe give us a little bit of rundown about your preeclampsia research um and then how where you're going with your biotech engineering research? Yeah, absolutely. So the change and shift into a career in science is quite different to the medical world. And just the terminology that's used and the skill set is really quite different. So it was a little bit of a shock 
whereby the first day of my PhD, I was thrown in the deep end and asked to do a trophoblast isolation, which <laughs> is a protocol. So it's where, where we extract the placental cells from a placenta. And it's a protocol that takes about six hours um, to do and a super detailed involved one. And I remember just saying to Stephen at the end of that, my, one of my supervisors, that, my goodness, give me a hysterectomy any day. That is so hard. But I think you just need to have resilience and perseverance um, in order to kind of shift gears and, and learn you know, new skills and new techniques in order to then build on them. So really with my research, the focus during my PhD was to find a therapeutic for preeclampsia. And there was really two therapeutics that we identified during my PhD. And it was really from reading very broadly that I was able to um, identify these therapeutics. So I guess the first um, important point about developing a therapeutic is you've got to have an understanding of the pathophysiology of the disease and really within the last 10 to 15 years we've identified the toxins that lead to preeclampsia so they are anti-angiogenic markers soluble flit and soluble endoglin that are released from the placenta into the mum's blood supply that cause widespread um, that vessel disruption and then the multi-system um, disease that manifests itself in preeclampsia. So it's both finding um, medications that might be able to block those factors, but also we're after medications that we could repurpose. So medications that might be safe, already known to be safe in pregnancy, as that way you can um, expedite treatment um, and expedite these treatments into a clinical um, situation and clinical trial much more easily than you can if it was a completely new um, treatment. So it was through reading cancer literature that um, identified metformin. So metformin um, is a medication that's um, used for diabetic patients, but recently in cancer patients was found to reduce metastasis and it was thought to do so by blocking key transcription factors um, that regulate hypoxia. And we know that um, a placenta that doesn't have much oxygen is likely to become a preeclamptic placenta. So on looking at that medication in the lab, it looked extremely promising, whereby it was able to block those bad um, toxins, soluble flit and soluble endoglin. And we've now extended um, that to clinical trial within South Africa. So we've got a really strong collaborator. Um, her name's Kathy Kluver. She's an obstetrician in South Africa. And the main reason why we progressed it to South Africa was because they have the most devastating outcomes. So they don't have the access to the NICU or the special care that we have. And if their patients require delivery at less than 34 weeks, then those babies unfortunately pass away. So that was really the driving factor behind um, setting up that clinical trial in South Africa. And it's just finished recruitment. So we should have results shortly once those, um, the last lot of patients deliver their babies. That's so exciting. What was the time frame for this um, the research study? And like, when are you hoping to get your results finalised? Yeah, absolutely. So it was incredibly quick. And it's just because the prevalence of disease of preeclampsia in South Africa is just so high. 
and also because we know that metformin is safe in pregnancy. So it was a medication that was very um, easy to implement in a clinical trial and patients were quite receptive to it, especially given that the alternative is that, um, you know, their babies can't survive. So um, we discovered metformin in 20, 2015 and then the clinical trial was um, commenced shortly after that. Um, and it's taken about two to three years in order to recruit 160 patients, which is phenomenal. Kath has done just an incredible job um, at, you know, really taking this forward in the clinic. And your new research, the, um, the new fetal monitoring? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I've been, so now I'm building my, um, my own laboratory and I've really got a strong focus on biomedical engineering solutions for obstetric conditions. And perhaps when you're thinking about building your own laboratory, you've, it's a good idea to look at the research landscape on an international stage and really see what other groups are doing and then find the deficits. And perhaps the biggest deficits, I think, for research at the moment can be found um, in those interdisciplinary fields. And for me, stillbirth and cerebral palsy are some of the most devastating clinical outcomes in obstetrics. And it was really that, those devastating outcomes, that's really driven me to then build a multidisciplinary team whereby I've now got a... Um, engineering PhD student who he'll be my first PhD completion which will be later this year um, and also partnered with uh, an, one of his um, engineering supervisors in order to develop devices to better detect fetal distress both during pregnancy and also during labour and so um, both the projects that we're really focused on is developing a device that might sit on the mum's tummy and record um, the baby's heartbeat and alert the mother if there's signs of distress in that baby um, so that she could then attend hospital or uh, call up the hospital to get further advice. We'd be looking at using that in patients at very high risk of stillbirth. And then the second device is um, a device to better detect fetal distress during labour. So at the moment, the only thing we really have is the fetal heart rate, which during labour, it can be um, quite difficult to interpret. Um, and this can lead to the baby becoming hypoxic, so lack of oxygen leading to cerebral palsy or stillbirth. Um, and so a big focus has been developing a better technology um, to better identify fetal distress. And this is, um, and what we're currently developing is a device to detect um, the acid levels of the baby, which is a far more um, direct marker uh, to identify fetal distress. For Lucy and I at this stage in our um, uh, medical education, we're very like clinic focused. What advice would you have to get the ball rolling on entering research or going down that pathway for students? Yeah, sure. So I think, uh, Melbourne Medical School is uh, really advanced in that they've offered the MDRP projects to give you a taste of research. These projects do only last generally about last six months, but it's good to kind of dabble with it initially um, to get an idea as to whether or not research might be for you. 
And then I think just being engaged with the literature um, of specialties that you find really interesting and also to align yourself with mentors that are actively involved in research is really um, going to set you up very well to progress a career that involves both clinical as well as science. Well, clearly you love both your research and your clinic work so much. Um, how do you kind of strike the balance between the two of them? Yeah, you know, it's such a great question and it is a constant battle between managing my time. So managing time both um, from a work perspective with, you know, clinical commitments, research commitments, as well as my family life. So I've got a three-year-old um, at the moment and, um, and my husband and just the balance is tough. Um, I think it's really important to get a good idea of what you're capable of and give yourself realistic timelines on how long things take and make sure that you don't overload yourself both from a clinical perspective or a research perspective and give yourself those realistic goals that are achievable and attainable. But it is a very tricky balance. Absolutely. That's great advice and it's incredibly impressive what you're managing to do. Um, we'll just digress before we finish up. What are your kind of main hopes for women's health research in general coming into the future? Yeah, so I think the whole reason why I went into research was as a result of witnessing the poor outcomes that we see in the clinic. And it really, the laboratory is a bit of a playground whereby you can come up with hypotheses and ideas. You can test them in the laboratory to see whether or not they might be able to improve care. So my big hope for ONG, I'm um, an ONG research in the future, is that we will be able to bring more mothers and babies home safely uh, and create more, uh, more families uh, that are free of disease and complications as a result of obstetrics. That is a really wonderful goal to be working towards. Do you have any sort of parting advice for future doctors and med students like Dom and myself? Sure. I think perhaps the best advice is to find something you're passionate about and go for it. Don't let anyone tell you that, you know, it's not something you can achieve. There's definitely um, thing, people that you then need to sort out that can be your mentors and your champions to um, allow you to reach your goals. I love that. That is wonderful advice. Thank you, Dr. Brownfoot. Oh, so no problem. that's about <laughs> all we have time for, unfortunately. Um, thank you so much for chatting to us, Dr. Brownfoot. You have had such an interesting and incredible career so far, and we are so excited to see what you do in the future. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for listening. This is the first episode in MedFem's Inspirational Women in Medicine podcast. Feel free to like us on Facebook and to get in contact with us if you have any burning questions. We would love to hear from you. Thank you again, Dr. Brownfoot. Thank you and good luck.